betrayed by someone we never thought would betray us. We, we've been let go from our job, and, and right now it seems like we're at the bottom of a well. Today I hope that's not you, but I can promise you in a crowd this big, you're there, or you've been there, or in heaven forbid, one of these days you will be there. The Bible is full of people who have went through difficult times. left to die by his brothers and then decided not to leave him there but sell him into slavery. After doing what was right and living the right way, he is falsely accused and thrown in prison. I'm sure in those moments it felt like as low as he could go. Think of Daniel as he was being thrown into the lion's den. I cannot imagine what that would have been like, but I can't imagine what God did as well, but yet he did it. You think about Jonah after preaching a great revival to the city of Nineveh, went under a juniper tree and asked God to kill him. Elijah, but yet got scared and ran to the backside of the desert. Paul was in prison for preaching Jesus. And then you think about Jesus on the cross. Those are moments when you and I would think that is rock bottom. But this morning I want you to hear this, that if you are at rock bottom, or if you have been at rock bottom, or if today everything is great and perfect and you have not a care in the world, then one of these days. You say, Jake, that's awful doom and gloomy today. I would say that it's not. I would say that it's an honest assessment of life. But we as Christians have something that the world does not have. And that's hope. That is hope that days that are difficult aren't the only thing that we face. Days of loss and heartache and pain are not what defines who we are. And so if you would stand with me out of a reverence for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read a few verses from Psalm 107. Psalm 107, verses 12 through 14. And I think I put those in on my paper wrong. Starting in verse 12 of Psalm 107, Therefore he brought down their heart with leper. They fell down and there was none to help. So what it says is there was no one to help them in a hopeless situation. But in verse 13, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. You see, this passage of Scripture gives the idea that God reached down and picked them up out of the difficulty that they were in. And today I want you to hear that God has not changed. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're carrying, God is able to reach down and pull you up from. Father, today I thank you for your word. Lord, you know that uh, I, I don't know what to say. God, I have nothing to add. I am a sinful and wicked man. And so, God, I just pray that you would forgive me, that you would not allow anything in my life that would grieve your Holy Spirit this morning. God, I pray for this group of people today, Lord, here and watching. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in their lives. That They would not hear the words of a man, but, God, that they would hear your word. Lord, that your spirit would use it in their life. Father, today I pray that you would help me to show this congregation from the word of God, Lord, that there is hope. 
And no matter the difficulty, no matter the pain, no matter the overwhelming odds, God, that you are able. And so today, Father, I just pray that you would do great things for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're in 2 Samuel with us this morning, we have been looking at the life of David. And King David has, has went through all these struggles. He's been betrayed. He's been uh, ran out of town. He's been uh, persecuted. He's struggled. And just as he is getting ready to be king, he's getting ready to enjoy all of the promises and the blessings that God has given him. And Abner, this man who, who was the kingmaker, who was the power behind the throne, says, I will support you. We looked last week at how that man had been murdered by Joab and his brother and that David had responded and was heartbroken and wept and mourned. And so where we're at in this story is that David has had his hope in this man, this, this, this person who is going to help him has been taken away. But what we don't realize is the other side of this equation is Ishbosheth. He is the king over the other tribes. He is the king who did not deserve to be king. He's a king who is a, a weak man. He's a king who, who could not have been king on his own. But Abner had raised him up and put him on the throne as a puppet. And so now if you're Ishbosheth, the man who had secured your future, the man who had made you king, the man whose armies and power and influence had propped you up, has been gone. He has been killed. And so this morning we begin to see when Ishbosheth finds out that the power that had kept him was gone. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you will, to make sure that I am preaching the Word of God and for you to look back through the week is this. We see a hopeless situation. Starting in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 4. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart. And all Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of the troop. The name of one was Banah, and the name of the other was Rechab, the sons of Ramon the Barathite, of the children of Benjamin. For Barathoth was also part of Benjamin because of the Barathites fled to Gidom and had been sojourners there until this day. Jonathan's son, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it happened as she made haste to flee, came lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now what we see here is, Ishbosheth is Saul's son. Saul had been king of Israel. Saul had been killed in battle. Saul's other sons had been killed in battle. And what happens here is he has got the news that Abner is dead. And the Bible says that he lost heart. That means that he had all of his hope removed. I mean, Ishbosheth knew that he did not deserve to be king. He knew that he couldn't be king. And everything he was relying on revolved around Abner, and that hope was gone. And you say, well, why does it talk here about Jonathan's son? Jonathan's dead. Jonathan's gone. This is why. Because when we lose hope, 
it usually happens because of two reasons. The first is this, that hope is taken from us. Today, if you are struggling with a health crisis, you probably were trusting in the fact that your health would last. Right? I just retired. I'm going to enjoy those retirement years. I don't have any problems. And then boom, something happens. Maybe you were hoping in your finances, right? I've saved enough money. I've, I've invested and, and everything is just like it should be so that I can coast into retirement. And then if you are old enough to remember 2008, it was like, oh, nothing's safe. Maybe today you were trusting in a relationship. Maybe it was a marital partner. Maybe it was a best friend. Maybe it's someone you'd went to church with for years and you thought, man, we are as thick as thieves, right? We, we can face anything together. We've been through everything, right? We've made dumb decisions. We've made good decisions. But through it all, we've been there. And then the news comes. It rips your heart out. See, when hope is taken from us is what Ishbosheth is going through. And what we have hope in when it is gone causes us to lose heart. You see, sometimes we put our faith and trust in all of the wrong places, just like Ishbosheth had. You see, David had put his trust in the Lord. He had put his trust that God was going to take care of him. And so when people tried to kill him, people ran him out of town, people ran him out of Israel, people took his wife from him. He had always had one thing that guided him, one thing that he could lean to, one thing that he could rely on, and that was the Lord. And so regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what was going on, David knew something. He knew the one who held it all together. You see, friends, that's what you and I need to realize this morning. There's nothing wrong with having relationships with people and trusting people. There's nothing wrong with investing and being successful in business. There's nothing wrong with eating healthy and exercising and, and, and celebrating the fact that you're healthy. But don't put all of your hope in things that can be taken from you. Don't put all of your hope and faith and trust in things that can be gone in one bad decision. But the second thing I want you to see here is, because today I know none of you are struggling, none of you have problems, this sermon is for someone else in your life, okay? I know that this morning, all right? I, I can just see the way you're looking at me, the, the halos are popping out and everything is fine and everything is wonderful. But why did he mention that Jonathan's son, this is the reason? Because it says not only but all the people of Israel. Because not only do we get discouraged when we lose our hope, we also lose our courage when we don't think that there is help coming. You see, most of the people would have thought, well, if Ishbosheth dies, there can be another king, right? Maybe he's got a son or, or he's got a grandson. I heard her pal when I said, well, no. She goes, he's close to retirement if you don't like him. And I said, I don't understand how to take that. I think she was saying she wanted me to retire, but I'm 30 years away. And think about that mindset, right? If someone is close to retirement and maybe your job, you've got a boss and you're thinking, if I could just survive till this guy retires. 
Or you've got a coworker, right, and they're, they're close to retirement, and you're thinking, if I can just put up with them for a little while. was their hope. Well, maybe the next person will be better. But what the Bible does is shows them that the people recognize something. The one person who could sit on the throne can't fight for us. He's crippled. He, he is unable to go to battle because in the moment of when he found out the news about his grandpa and his dad, the person that was watching him dropped him and crippled him. And so what they had in the nation of Israel was they had lost their hope. They had lost Abner. And then they had lost the hope for the future. And this morning I want you to hear this because it might not mean anything to you today. But when that day comes and your hope is gone, the number one thing that we struggle with is, will it ever get better? Is there any way possible to overcome what I've been through? What you've been through? Is there any way we can overcome this loss in our family? Is there any way we can overcome this battle with cancer? Is there any way we can recover from the financial ruin that we've been through? Today, remember those two things. That when hope is taken from you, you feel like you are in the bottom of a pit. And then when you think that there's no way to get out of the pit, that is when hopelessness overwhelms us. I think I have struggled with that as a church. You say, well, Jake, you're not the whole church. No, you're exactly right. But at the beginning of COVID and all the things that went on and all the division and all the, the hatred, I had to apologize last week. And if you were here last week, you heard it. In the second service last week, we were so full, we had to put out 40, 50 chairs. I don't know what it was. But yet, the, in the before service, they said literally, should we put out chairs? And I went, nah. We... You say, what kind of pastor says that? It's Easter. You have hope. You have excitement. It, it's going to be full. It's going to be, you know, no. It, yeah. Nah, we don't need them. Why? Because I can be guilty of the same thing. God, I just don't see how you can do it. God, I just don't believe that you can do it. And so that lack of faith is not always just when you're at rock bottom. Sometimes it's just when you lack faith. And so this morning I want you to hear this from Psalms 91, starting in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. This morning my challenge to you is, is to step back in whatever you're going through, whether you're in a season of blessing or you're in a season of difficulty, and say, am I really trusting God? Is God the reason and the focus of my life? If I lost everything enough, do I have a relationship with God that would last? that would endure. If I got the call today from the doctor, could I rely and trust that I have a relationship with God? If I got that phone call or if I got that text message that, that took my breath away, could I trust in Him? It's the foundation of being a Christian that we are to trust and obey. It starts at salvation when you and I recognize that we are sinners. That there is nothing good that we have to offer God, but yet He loved us so much that He died upon the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again. And He says, even though you don't deserve it, and even though you couldn't earn it, and, and even though God didn't, shouldn't have, He loved you. 
And He sent Jesus to die for you. And if you will repent of your sins and turn from them and trust in Him, He will save you. He will wipe all of your sins away and bring you into the family of God. And that there's hope. It starts there. And every day after that, God, I know that you're going to provide for me. God, I know that you're going to be there for me. God, I know that even when it doesn't make sense, I can trust you. Second thing I want to show you from this text this morning is, not only do we see a hopeless situation, hopeless situations cause people to do desperate things. Hopeless situations cause people to do desperate things. I had a funeral this week and uh, have pastored long enough to know that even the people that we think are the best can make terrible decisions when things are hopeless. Today, I can tell you that I am no exception. Have you ever been in a bind and didn't know what to do and knew that you should trust God but decided to trust your flesh? Have you ever known that, man, I knew I should let God fight this battle for me, but you know what, I really... I really would like to handle it myself. And then you try, and then after it's over, you're like, man, did I make a mess of things. So let's look here at something that is absolutely overwhelming. And it's a little graphic, and so I apologize. Then the sons of Ramon, the Barathite, and Rechab, the, and Banan set out and came about the heat of day to the house of Ishbosheth. That's the king of Israel who was lying on his bed at noon, and they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Banan, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. Like I said, it's a little graphic, but the Bible does not leave out the details to clean it up for our liking. What we see here are two men who realize something. We're loyal to Ishbosheth. We've fought with him, we've stood beside him, but there is no hope. Ishbosheth can't be king. His nephew can't be king. So what are we going to do? How are we going to fix our situation? How are we going to make sure that we endure? And in their minds, they say, we'll take his life and we'll go. Look what we have done. You see, I don't think that their motives were necessarily that off base when you think about it. I mean, literally, they were thinking, let's switch sides to the winner. Abner had just done the same thing. But yet, listen to me this morning. Just because it makes sense, and just because your motives might be right, sin is never okay. They murdered a man who was lying in his bed. They didn't know what God's purpose was, God's plan was. But in their mind, it was hopeless. And because it was hopeless, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Sometimes it looks like this. And if I'm meddling, I am not sorry. It starts by saying, 
well, Jake, I, I know I should, I should be honest. I know I should pay my taxes. I, I know I should, should do things the way it is, but the government is just awful. I agree with you. I think the government is a broken mess. I am tired of them wasting my tax dollars. I am tired and sick of it, and it just I can watch the news, and I think, man, people get any dumber, but it just keeps happening. And everything in me says, you know what, maybe I'll just, you know, i got enough kids, I can fudge a number here and fudge a number there and, you know, move things around here. But yet the Bible says to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You say, well, Jake, I, I, I know I, I should let God fight, from, fight my battles for me. I know the Bible says to to not answer a fool. I know the Bible says just to, to be still and wait on God, but Jake, if you knew the rumors that those people were saying about me, you'd, you'd get up and shout it out too. But God says, no, trust Him. Most of us can look back in our lives and say, if I just would have kept my mouth shut, or if I just hadn't lost my temper, every time I leave a ball game, I think, Jake, I wish you'd keep your mouth shut. Every single time. Why? Because that wasn't the right call. I wouldn't have played that kid there. I wouldn't have put him in the batting order there. I wouldn't have ran that play here. And I have to get in the car and think, man, you were probably sitting right next to someone's kid's parent, and you said, man, your kid shoots like Ray Charles or something like that, you know. Or you're sitting next to the coach's wife, and you're like, man, what, what kind of person coaches that way? And those are, those are kind of comical instances, but how many of us had some said something to our spouses in a moment of anger and realized, man, that hurt? How many of us have said something we heard about someone and before we even realized it, we realized, man, that could destroy them if they heard that I said that? You see, in moments of hopelessness, we make decisions that have terrible and lasting consequences. That's why when the children of Israel were hearing from God after the death of Moses, that God tells them this words, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, God was telling them, don't think on the problems that you're going to face. Don't think about the obstacles that you're going to run into. Focus on me. Focus on the power that I have, the, the, the blessings that I have. Focus on the fact that I can fight for you. And so this morning I want to encourage you, whether you are going through a hopeless situation or you have a loved one that's going through a hopeless situation or the day comes when you face hopelessness, be careful the decisions you make from the bottom of the well. Because friends, those decisions can last long after God delivers you. This morning I want to encourage you that God will fight for you, that God will be with you. Just think about Judas Iscariot after he betrayed the Lord and then he began to regret, feel the guilt and the shame. Just think about Thomas as he doubted the fact that the Lord had risen. Just think about the many times in the Bible where people in the moment did not believe, did not trust, did not understand and made decisions that they later regretted. And so what we see here is that these men do this thinking they're going to find a reward. 
but also that they were saving their neck. And the third and final thing this morning as we quickly try to come to the end is this, that not only do hopeless situations come, and not only do we have to not make terrible decisions in the hopelessness, but all things will be, re- be made right even when it seems hopeless. Don't miss that. All things will be made right even when it seems hopeless. Now, I know this is going to be a little graphic, and I'm sorry I didn't write the Bible. I just read it and preach it as it comes. But in verse 9 of the same passage of Scripture, But David answered Rechab and Banan his brother, the sons of Rimon the Barathite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. He's just telling them, God has taken care of everything for me. God has provided for me. God has fought for me. When someone told me, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would give him a reward... was dying and I helped him die and I just wanted you to know David that I have taken care of your enemy and David says no 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 I didn't strike the Lord's anointed and neither should you have and God took care of me and you have sinned and it will be punished verse 11 though it's wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his own bed therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand, and remove you from the earth. Now this is, like I said, a little bit graphic, but I didn't do it. So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. So David says, you are going to be punished for what you've done. You thought you were going to save your life, but you have lost it. You thought you were going to be an example of what it meant to be loyal to me, but now you're going to be an example to everyone. You say, Jake, why is the Bible so gory? Why is it so graphic? Because what David is doing here is he's teaching people, don't do this. That's for crimes. There should be a law and order system. There should be things that happen when someone murders someone, when someone steals, and the Bible is clear about that. Now, I know that that's not what you hear today, but it is true that punishment deters crime. And what David is saying here is, if you don't want to end up like this, don't murder an innocent man in his bed while he sleeps. You see, what we see here is that this has been made right that what happened to Ishbosheth has been corrected. Now, it's not pleasant, it's not pleasing, but yet... And this morning I want you to know this. When you feel like life becomes hopeless, God will make it all right. When you feel that you have been wronged by those people who have slandered your reputation and talked bad about you and hurt you, but yet they feel like they've gotten no punishment... (laughs) Right? They have done this to me and I'm the one that's suffering. I'm the one that people won't speak to. How could that even possibly be? Look up here. God has not forgotten. 
You say, Jake, I've lost someone that, that I love and, and I, I feel alone and I, I feel like God has abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. Because if that person knew Jesus and you knew Jesus, one of these days, you'll see him again. You say, Jake, I, I've, I've been diagnosed with something that there is no cure. There, there, there is no hope. How, how is that fair? How is that right? How, how do I justify that God has not abandoned me? Well, one, I believe God does miracles. I believe God can heal and work and move in any situation. The Bible says that with Him, nothing is impossible. I believe sometimes He uses miracles, sometimes He uses doctors and wisdom and medicine. I believe that. But I also believe something else. I also believe that one of these days when I leave this world, there's a place waiting for me where there is no sickness, no pain, no tears, the former things of this world have all passed away. It is ultimate healing. You say, well, Jake, that doesn't mean a lot when you're living in the middle of it. I understand that. I understand. But I want you to hear this this morning. that Just like David had made it right, God will make it right. You say, Jake, how do I deal with my depression? How do I, I deal with my loneliness? How do I deal with my struggle? I want you to know this, that I'm not the answer. But the Lord can. The Lord can send people into your life that can replace those friends that have betrayed you. God can bring you a job that was better than the one that you lost. God can touch your body in a way that heals what has been broken. And today, friends, if you're here and you're lost, you don't know Jesus. God promised He could do the greatest miracle of all, and that is to save you from your sin. You see, the longer we're saved, we get over that simple fact that it is a miracle that God loves any of us. And it is a miracle that God would send His only begotten Son, born of a virgin, to live a perfect life and to die in my place, to take my sin and my shame and go to the cross and hang there between heaven and earth, not only taking my sin, but the sins of the whole world, and then dying and being buried. And at that situation, it seems hopeless, doesn't it? Right? The, uh, the disciples fled. <laughs> Everyone except for John and Jesus' mother abandoned things. But yet, what happened? And we celebrated it last week. Sunday was coming. The resurrection happened and now we know what Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 says. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades in death. What he says there is it was hopeless but it's not anymore. Death and sin and the grave had a hold on you and on me, but because of what Jesus did, that is no longer true. 
I can face this world knowing that life is hard, life is difficult, people are broken, things are a mess, but I am not putting my trust in them. I am not putting my trust in a situation. I'm not putting my trust in the government. I am putting my trust in the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who has created all things, who knows all things, who can do all things, and that God loves me. I don't know why, but He does. And so this morning I want you to know that church is a wonderful place that can help you. It's a wonderful group of people that can love you. That's why I read these cards every week that we get them. Because it doesn't matter how big we get or how fancy we think we are, it's all about loving people. Being there for them. Being there when they need us. But friends, it's only because of the love that God has shown us that we're able to show it to other people. It's not our goodness. It's not our expertise. It's the fact that God loved us and has given us the privilege of loving other people. So this morning, if you're here and you're in a difficult situation, I'd love to pray with you. There are others that would love to pray with you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life and you're going through life with fear and anxiety and doubt, Every situation that comes your way rocks the boat that you're in. Come trust Him today. Maybe it's something totally different. Maybe you're here today and you just want to thank God because He's been with you. He's brought you through it. He, he took care of you and you can say today, I was there but I'm not anymore because of what Jesus has done in my life. Maybe it's something totally different. These altars are open. We'd love for you to come and pray and we want God to work in your life. And so as Jamie and Janice comes, if you would stand with me as we pray. Father, today, we thank you for your word, not mine. God, I had no idea who would be here today, but God, you did. And so God, you had us here in this text today after all of these months for your purposes and your reasons. And so today, Father, I pray for those that are struggling, those that are hurting, those that are going through great challenges, God, that today you would encourage them that wherever they're at, whatever they're going through, it's not what defines them. Father, I pray that today you'd help us to be a church that's thankful for what you've delivered us through, how you've carried us through the challenges of our life. God, today I pray in this place that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that your Holy Spirit would convict them Show them today, God, that you love them, that you care about them, that you died for them, that you want them to be saved. Father, help us to be a church that welcomes and loves and forgives and, and rejoices in what you do. So God, I give you all the praise and the honor, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.